Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech, 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 tech talk. Tech, 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 tech talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Greetings, Teslans and non-Teslans, or should I say Teslans in waiting. Welcome to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson, the podcast that will accelerate you faster and more quietly into a bolder and brighter future by 29% more than any other podcast on your playlist. And here, with the guarantee on that promise clenched firmly in his fist, is our digital guarantor of the future. It's Matthew Dickerson. How are you, Matt? And do I promise too much? No, not at all. Not at all. 29% is is just a small part of what you offer. Absolutely right. I just like it. Well, actually, it'd be better if it was 28.62%. Okay, all right. Because it sounds more believable if it's more accurate. That's right. If it's around 30%, but they just made that number up. But (laughs) 28.62%, then definitely that's a real figure there. Now, just a quick one before we get into this around, speaking of accurate calculations, in relation to one of the stories today, which we'll get to, I did actually ask ChatGPT to do the calculation for me. I thought, I've just got to go and check a figure in there to make sure the calculation's right because I like to make sure that our information is accurate. So have you stopped using a calculator full stop these days? <laughs> no, I still use it occasionally. Okay, good, right, okay. <laughs> but this one I thought, it's just as easy for me to say, chat GPT, tell me the answer to this. And it came out with an answer that was about a magnitude of a 1,000 out, I thought. Yeah, right. Because I kind of had that's an idea. That's a reasonable error. <laughs> that is, isn't Unless it? Unless you're talking about geological time. Well, you kind of, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. It, it was talking about something in a bit more closer time. And, and so I thought, well, do I just go and do the calculation myself manually? Do I trust ChatGPT? And I actually said, are you sure, ChatGPT? I don't know what to call <laughs> it, but I just say, are you sure that's the right answer? It seems too large to me. It just, the figures seem wrong. Mm. But maybe it was, maybe I... Look, I'm wrong. telling students all this all the time. A calculator is just a little black box that spits out the numbers that you ask it for, right? But if you don't press the right numbers, it's going to give you the wrong number. You've always got to ask the question, does that number seem right? Well, that's... Well, you would pass my test. Oh, thank you. Thank you. There I, you go. I feel so proud of myself now. <laughs> <laughs> that's made my day. So it came back and said, I apologise. You are correct. I Let me do that calculation again. Apologise to me. With cap in hand. But let's do the calculation again. And it went through the calculation again. And it was an order magnitude of about 1,000 different the second time around. Yeah, right. But I don't quite get how. And I did ask how. Yeah. How did you make that error? And then it just went through and did the calculation again for me. So it showed me what it did. But I don't understand that first part. It showed you how it pressed the wrong button on the calculator. <laughs> yeah, it didn't show me that. It just said, here's the calculation. I've told you again already. Yeah. <laughs> get off my case. But, but how? How did it do that? How did it get something mm. so wrong? It was a formula. It was a fairly simple formula. It had the numbers that I asked for in there. It knows the rest of the information. And it did that. And somewhere along that process, it went, whoops, I'll chuck in an extra 10 to the power 3. Mm. Sorry about that. But it didn't recognize that itself. It just had it a bit wrong there. So that's really intriguing. And if we start trusting ChatGPT too much and we get answers out and we say, oh, well, there we go, that's correct. That's fact. Mm. Then you hope it is factual. You hope it's not Billy on Facebook saying it, a bit Mm. more accurate than that, but maybe it's not. So you still have to ask that question. So what you're teaching your kids is spot on. Does that make sense? Yeah, and look, um, does that destroy my complete faith in um, AI 
You had no faith in ChatGPT <laughs> anyway, so if it's been destroyed... I actually was... feel really good about that story. Thank you, Matt, for that gift for today. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> All right, today we've got another nine sensational stories to get you one step, or, or at least one up, on the Joneses. Today we're bringing back the hydrofoil, that classic harbour joyride of the 60s, 70s and 80s. Voyager 1 has been racing through deep space for almost 50 years, so no wonder it's due for a software update. And we're going to see if there's anyone still alive that still speaks Voyager 1 language. And the makers of the Ford Mustang are trying to keep the legend alive, so they're moving with the times. We'll see what's going to it's that's going to mean for the rev heads of 2035. But enough jibber jabber and babble and chatter. Let's get stuck into our first story for today. Are you tired of being cooped up with poultry problems? Well, with major supermarkets stepping away from caged eggs, the price of a carton is set to launch through the roof. Well, there's a new startup and it's called Coop. That's a nice name for uh, anything to do with chickens, I guess. And it's hatching solutions with a side of technology. Let's unscramble the details, shall we, Matt? Could you get any more puns into one sentence? Ah, yeah, we love it. <laughs> what is it about chickens, <laughs> eggs? There are so many puns that are related. Anytime someone mentions eggs, they all come out. They do. It's all excellent, isn't it? Surely there are more puns associated with chickens and eggs than any other topic you can think of. <laughs> so there's a bit of an issue. In America, for example, Americans, the average American consumes 300 eggs a year. And that's in not just fried eggs, that's in cakes and other things it's that might be made. almost an egg a day. It, almost an egg a day. That's a lot. When you multiply yeah. that by the number of Americans, that's a lot of eggs. Yeah. And it's sometimes getting a bit too expensive for eggs, so people are going to the next alternative, which is keep some chickens in their backyard. Well, and this is the thing. Uh, it was a recent thing. One of the major supermarkets here in Australia has just said that we're not going to do caged eggs anymore. We're only going to do free range. So they're going to be buying up all the free ranged eggs. Mm. So those supplies have only got limited supplies. Next thing we know, the price of eggs goes through the roof. <laughs> That's right. So that will be a problem. And I remember when I was a kid, we had some chooks in our backyard. Can't remember how many, but there weren't that many. But every now and again, when I'd go out and collect the eggs like a good son that I was, I'd go out there and I'd say, I'm sure we had more chickens yesterday, Mum. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we seem to have fewer chickens and some feathers yeah. out there in the chicken coop. Fewer chickens, but yet still the same amount of feathers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that would mean that a fox probably had come along, maybe yeah. a dog, but someone had, had a little feast on our chickens. So this particular company, this startup called Coop, they're focusing on... Does making- Coop not co-op? Well, I did look at that, and there was if there was a hyphen in the middle, I'd go with co-op. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Makes sense. But Coop, I'm happy with Coop. C-O-O-P for listeners in case they're interested. So they're focused on making it easy for people to have some chickens in their backyard. So I love the concept. What people do, or what, what this company does, is they have a little chicken house and then a little wire fence around it. Just like the sea monkeys you used to get in the back of comics, like you'd order the sea monkeys and they'd send you the kit. I'm not sure if the kit was quite as big as this. <laughs> okay. This, All is, right, a big, this, is, a this big is a bigger kit. kit. Right, okay. This is for real yeah. life-size chickens. <laughs> but it's also got some cameras built in. Oh, it's wow. got some audio built in. So it does a few things. Yeah, First thing it does, it's got 7 million images of different animals in its database and different sounds. If it sees an animal coming around it with its camera, it can identify whether that seems to be a predator or oh, not. Oh, wow. This is bad. So you get an alert on your phone to say... Go out and check on your chickens because it looks like a friendly fox, Slash. hawk maybe, yeah. snake. Something is about to go out there and feast on your chickens. You don't want that to happen. So that's the first thing. It actually also listens for the chicken noise. 
chickens don't make a lot of different noises, no. but they've got a few different noises. That's right. They've got one squawk that seems to be <laughs> there's an attack from the air, so maybe a hawk's coming. Have we talked about this before? I've had a recent conversation <laughs> about this. Really? About chickens, and they've got about three different sentences. Yeah, look, I, I don't think I've talked about you. And one is the, there's something coming from above. Yep. One, there's something from coming from the ground. That's right. There's a different squawk for that. And was there another one for, look, I think I've found some food. Well, I thought the third one might have been, oh, my gosh, that hurt. I just laid an egg. <laughs> <laughs> So this has been trained to listen to those different sounds from a chicken and identify the ones that might be danger or, hey, I've had an egg, you can come out and collect an egg and there's your breakfast. So it actually detects in this little device when an egg has been laid, either by noise or by the fact that there is now an egg in there. Again, cameras it's using for that. It's got certain foods that it can feed to make sure it's monitoring the health of your chickens. It's got a little compost tray so you can actually add to your compost in your garden. Basically, the whole thing is designed to use technology to deliver to you an easy way to keep chickens in your backyard. So I thought that was a really good way of combining uh, farming, it's a little tiny bit of farming, but a farming process with some technology. Now, it's about $2,000, that's American dollars, only available in America at the moment. You pay a subscription fee of $20 a month, and that kind of makes sense because it's still monitoring and doing things for you, but... Gee, you could get a fair few eggs and you'd be a fair way in front if you had a few people in the family in the household eating eggs and a few mm. chickens there. I think it wouldn't take that long to get your money back, but it sounds like a really good idea. Sounds use like a really good idea. And it's unfortunate you can't get it in Australia, but I reckon if enough people contact them and say, hey, what's going on? Maybe we can get some franchises set up here in Australia as well. Either that or someone will just steal the idea steal and Steal the idea and do it better. <laughs> that's right. Maybe that's right. Today we're talking about an astronomical feat that's a literal game changer. NASA is NASA. NASA is, is different to NASA. In fact, it's NASA who's dishing out virtual tune-ups for the Voyager probes. Folks, these space probes have gone, been gone for so long, they're now scouting the reaches beyond our solar system. And updating their software is a big deal because they're getting 17 kilometres further away every second. 17 kilometres per second, that's amazing. These tiny fixes have some massive implications, Matt. I get a bit annoyed when I get an update on my phone or I won't be able to use my phone for two or three minutes or <laughs> my computer and I've got to reboot my computer. Oh. Yeah, and it happens every you know, couple of days, maybe every couple of weeks. Oh, what a hassle. And I don't feel so bad now because Voyager 1 and the Voyager update, 2... The update got a cop. <laughs> that's right. They need a software update. Both of them need a software update. But just the distance away they mm. both are, we're talking about 24 billion kilometres for yeah, Voyager wow. 1, 19 billion for Voyager 2. So travelling at near enough the speed of light to get out there, you're talking about 18 hours to reach the closest one. So here we are at NASA sitting in the control room and we say, just send that patch. Okay, let's wait 18 hours for that patch to be received. We hope it applies the patch correctly, and then let's wait another eight and hours because it'll take that long for us to know it'll whether send or not back a message to say, yeah, that's got right, it. everything's okay. So 36 hours. So my little three or four minutes on my phone or computer yeah. reboots doesn't seem so <laughs> bad anymore. But there's a few fascinating... But the operating system that's on Voyager has got to be an ancient one, and I'm guessing not a very fast one. Not a very fast one. So I thought about this. I would think that it would have been some sort of machine language, assembly language, mm. just something. Because we're talking about the 70s. 1977, they were both launched. punch cards. <laughs> well, I hope it's not punch <laughs> cards, but you're right. Probably not far past that. But I, So I think there would be something, and I would imagine that sitting 
in the corner somewhere at NASA is the computer that's the same as on Voyager 1 and Voyager mm. 2, so that when you're doing anything, you go and sit on that computer. And there's an old guy, a really <laughs> old guy sits next to it, waiting for the tap on the shoulder. Maybe. <laughs> so, there'd be again, let's assume it's some sort of machine language, some sort of assembly language. The, the code that would be written there would be very much just a specific code to Voyager. It wasn't as if you'd go and buy Windows. Windows didn't exist and you probably wouldn't put Windows up into Voyager anyway because yeah, yeah. you have to reboot every couple of days. But I think there'd be something that would be very specific to that. So there'd be someone, as you say, some old guy who's the guy who knows programming yeah. on the Voyager. And he was just an apprentice when he started. <laughs> and he's still there with his old grey beard. <laughs> and some young, bright kids would get out of university, come work for NASA, and they'd say, go and learn this programming language from 50 years ago oh, just wow. in case we need to do something. So there's That's that issue. back to first principles. It, absolutely right. Now, then you've got some other issues. You've got a fairly small amount of memory, you would think, yeah. on the Voyager spacecraft computer. And then you've got the reliability of all these components. There's not a nice little handy technician around the corner that can just slip in and drop a new hard drive in or mm. put some new components in. So this stuff's been running for a long time. The computer in the corner at NASA's been running for a long time. So whether they had a redundant computer as well, or maybe a couple, so that when one failed, they could switch over to another one, not sure, mm. but I'm pretty impressed that it's all operating. Now, what they're doing with this, this update that they're doing, this is allowing them to change the way their thrusters work. What they've actually found is that the thrusters have built up some residue on the inlet tubes. And so they want to change how long the thrusters go for, whether it might be short bursts now, they want to go longer or vice versa. But by doing that, they believe they can get another five years out of these. Now, these have already gone a long oh, way. Right. Yeah, look, but they're not going to hit the brakes once they hit that five-year mark. There's, well, They need thrusters to stop them. But uh, So they're just going to keep drifting. and They're going to, but it's more about how long can we keep getting information back. Yeah, and, yeah. and by doing this, they but believe... I assume with the thrusters, they're trying to control it and steer it in a direction. That's right. There'd be somewhere where they'd want to steer it to, but at some point... I reckon that computer goes. Eh, what? I've had enough. Yeah. And it, and it stops working. <laughs> so you're right. It'll still In a be voice like uh, the one from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Probably, uh, it'll keep going and going and going. You're right. There's nothing. Newton's law says it'll just keep travelling until an external unbalanced Such force a acts on it. Existence. But it goes along there. But some stage, I think it'll stop giving us back information. It'll yeah. just go, they won't get some information for well, a period of time. Well, it won't have the strength to be able to send something back that will will reach us with enough intensity for us to be able to read. That, but maybe it just finally fails. Maybe yeah, that okay. computer on there finally goes, you know what, I've had enough and just conks out. <laughs> Is that a technical term? Too many term? updates. Too many updates, that's right. So it does seem fascinating, though, doesn't it, that they're doing updates from here mm. all the way out there. So, but it's still sending us back information now, so it's quite fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Gear up, you lot. Today we're revving into a tale where tech-savvy meets old school. Now imagine this, navigating through the wild with a paper map in one hand and the steering wheel of an electric vehicle in the other. That's the Rebel Rally for you. Now I would have said Rebel, but I think it's Rebel Rally. And Matt, I can hear off in the distance a synthesised version of that tune from the General Lee's car horn that used to be in the, the Dukes of Hazard. What do you reckon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure where you were going It wouldn't quite sound like a, sound, a car horn, but it sounded like a synthesised version yeah, of it. That's, that's yeah? right. So this is a rally that I've never heard of. The Rebel Rally. I don't know why I've never heard of that. It yeah. sounds like it's all now a it's joke. Rebel with a sp an L-E on the end. So I like yours, Rebel. Hmm. All about females only, no 
navigational, no science to help you. It's a map. That's what you've got. You've got a right. good old-fashioned paper map. And eight days, you're not allowed to touch anything electronic for eight days. So but you're an electric vehicle. It's an electric vehicle. Well, this is the interesting part. It's right. only just been won by an electric vehicle. Oh, okay. Normally, there are good old-fashioned petrol vehicles r- r- okay. running in this. And so there's winning. no calling people up on a mobile phone? No, no phone a friend. Okay. And even at night time, no checking the news. So these people are out of the loop for eight days. They start on the first day and the end of the eighth day. They get to the end, hopefully, and they've used their map to get there. Sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then they can say, hey, what's happening in the world? Oh, didn't you hear? So-and-so died, was wow. born, whatever. So this year, for the first time ever, an electric vehicle won it. The Rivian R1T. Now, it was about a bit of a... Or did they shoot holes in it? <laughs> no. I'm just thinking with an... Not anyway. like the Cybertruck. Sorry, yeah, okay. All right, let's keep going. Uh, but not... It's, it's a PR exercise more than anything else, I think. It was driven by some Rivian employees. Uh-huh. So they thought, well, let's go and show that we can in a yeah, electric vehicle. And I'm vehicle, guessing that they were surrounded by a bunch of petrol-heavy people. <laughs> just love, they love their ICEs. Correct. And there were some hybrids in it as well. So okay. there, was, there was actually... A Jeep, uh, one of the, the Jeep hybrids in there. So and this is cross-country, right? This is cross-country, and that's what the whole thing, that's what Rivian wanted to do. They wanted to so, show that they had a vehicle that could go out and participate in a rally like this and get to the other end. Now, surely each night it had to be charging. So the whole thing about not touching any electronics during the trip, well, I suppose they probably said, okay, well, EVs, you can put petrol in a normal vehicle at night time. They don't expect you to have enough fuel to get you through eight days. So it seems fair you could put some electricity in there each night. So that seemed to be okay. But each day, that was it. Off they went and they all Mm. drove and the Rivian won. So I think the good part about this is that it shows that EVs can compete. And when you start to get to the point where you'll have the Bathurst 1000, you'll have different races around the world, Le Mans, whatever, Le Mans refueling, going for 24 hours might be a bit of a tricky one, but but when you've got some of these major races and you can have EVs competing against good old-fashioned ice vehicles, that'll be different. Now, remember years ago when Jimmy Richards, and I'm sure he was driving with Mark Scaife, when they won Bathurst and they got booed. Yes, and he was driving, got booed, was he driving a BMW, I think? No, I thought it was a Nissan. A Nissan, yeah. Yep, and I thought it was a Nissan four-wheel drive competing against these old Neanderthal Holden and Ford V8s, yeah. they still probably had push rods. And it was shortly after that, that they just went forward and Holden and they kicked out all the others. That's right. They, thought they didn't want to have that again. <laughs> that's, that's right. And and Jim wasn't very impressed because he just won yeah, the premier sports race. race. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, yes, very clearly remember that. But yeah. I think some of the crowd thought he was cheating because he had a new modern vehicle, four-wheel yeah. drive. It, it had probably overhead cams and yeah. four valves per cylinder and all that and stuff just, that those old V8s didn't have. New Zealander and yeah, <laughs> that's right. that's, that's just right. all mix. the rules because it wasn't a Ford or a Holden. Yeah, that's right. So this is the thing. I think we'll get to the stage where we'll see some traditional races where they'll start entering EVs in them and they'll be blown away. And all these ice right. vehicles blown away. This is Bathurst one. This will burn. That's, that's right. This is the one, the first one we've seen. A bit of a one-off, probably not a mainstream event, but won't take long and you'll start to see some of these EVs competing in some of these mm. mainstream events. And maybe instead of the fuel stops, they'll have battery swaps or whatever it might be. Daytona 500 won by an EV. Oh my gosh, can you imagine that? <laughs> Today, we're diving into how a tablet screen could face the pressure, revolutionising the way we measure blood pressure, thanks to AI tech developed in the UK. No cuff required, folks. Matt, this sounds like a technological witchcraft. 
I might have told you the story before, but I remember buying a device that I was going to use to ride my bike with, and you bought the big chest bend with it to monitor your heart rate. Mm. And I remember really saying, cumbersome. yeah, that's right. I remember saying to the salesperson, oh, gee, it'd be good when we can do something with a watch or something a bit less cumbersome. And he said, it'll never happen. Never. He did say, did he say that? never. He said never. And I went, oh, and that's technology. It is, isn't it? Very dangerous. But he said, no, no, it's too hard because you've got that heart rate and you've got the bit of electrical conductivity or electrical mm. activity there around your chest. So you need that. What you need to do was qualify that with, it'll never happen given the technology that we're using right now. Or something like that. But that yeah. was probably too much for a salesman to say, trying <laughs> to sell me more stuff. And now, of course, we've got little simple watches. They're not simple, but watches that we wear that do things like heart rate and ECG and all sorts yeah. of wonderful things. So how far can we go? We don't really know. But this is quite fascinating. Now, we did talk before once about picking up whether something was a deep fake mm. or a real person on a video by the slight change in blood flow through someone's face. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yeah, a deep fake doesn't have that blood flow and a real video should have that blood flow. So scientists are saying, can we use that blood flow on the face to detect other things? Now, there's actually a trial being done at the University of Sydney School of Rural Health in Dubbo, $6.5 million is being used on this research project. And part of that is to look at wound management, remote wound management. So that's the main focus. But they're also trying to do some things to see what they can detect through face, so pictures of the face. Things like that's heart really rate cool. through the picture of the face or, or through a video of the face. That sounds pretty interesting. This is going a step further than that. And this is in the UK looking at just via a camera on your tablet, looking at someone's face, focusing on the face, the camera's good enough quality, it's picking up what they're calling micro-blushes. Now, that might be something that happens when I see you, and I go, oh, James, <laughs> good to see you again. I'm, I'm a bit excited by this, and I micro-blush. But a micro-blush is when that little bit of blood goes through our face just from our normal heart rate. So they're able to detect from this wow. our heart rate, our respiratory rate, and you'd probably think that's not so complicated because you can probably see a bit more activity when someone's breathing. But then the one that really gets me is blood pressure. Picking up blood pressure from micro blushes on your face. Now, where they're focused on this is, for example, people that are getting a bit old and they want to stay at home. They don't like going to the doctor. They get some home carers every now and again, but they hate all these tests. Oh, I'm oh, okay. Look, putting on a sphygmomanometer. <laughs> Good work. I was waiting for you to roll that one out. It's just annoying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't expect an elderly person to be able to do that themselves. No, no that's right. Once it's one of the things I say regularly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the sort of thing you want people to be able to have easy access to healthcare. So when they say, Mrs. Jones, pick up your tablet and just look at me while I'm doing a remote video conference with you, a remote video medical conference and just focus there for a few seconds and oh look your heart rate looks like it's improved those new medications that we've been giving you seem to be working or no it's going the other way seeing that and just getting people to look at their health a little bit look at their health first of all then you might be able to do something about it not wait until it's too late yeah right. but isn't that fascinating that you can actually absolutely. see blood pressure from just images videos of your face mm, yeah, revolutionary it is Hoi listeners, are you ready to sail, set sail on a journey of innovation? Let's dive into how Sweden's Candela is making waves and cutting energy costs with their electric hydrofoiling boat, the Candela C8. It's not just a boat, it's a flying vessel of change. Matt, it looks like a boat, but it does not sit in the water like a boat when it cruises. 
Now, you did mention that magic thing that used to be at Sydney Harbour, yeah, the, the old hydrofoil. hydrofoil. I never rode on it. I only saw pictures of it and I thought, one day I'm going to ride on that. And I was kidding myself. Well, I used to dream about being one of the rich kids that could get on the hydrofoil <laughs> as you sat on the ferry going along at about a quarter of the speed of that hydrofoil that raced yeah. past in front of you. So it was interesting, but it was ahead of its time, wasn't it? And it when they stopped was. that, I thought, oh, why are they stopping that? And they talked about it was too expensive to run. Mm. Well, that seems a little bit opposite to this story. And again, when you look at this particular boat, it's a normal boat. It sits in the water. It's something you'd go out with a few friends for a day, cruising around the harbour, or maybe go and do some water skiing with. But then you get up above 26 kilometres per hour, and suddenly it pops up on the foils on the back and the front. Now, the reason they do this, they say, is because it's so much more efficient. So when we talk about the old Sydney hydrofoil that was too expensive to run, those Sydney ferries are cheaper to run, it makes sense. You pop up well, you, those foils. You don't have as much friction. Ah, oh, you've got all that. It comes back to that magic surface area again. <laughs> all that surface area of the boat in the water yeah. versus just those little foils. And each of the foils under the water looks a little bit like the wing of a plane. It's obviously giving you that little bit of lift. needs to get going fast enough. And it's got something, a very thick fluid in terms of the water. So it mm. only needs to get to 26 kilometres an hour, like a plane that needs to get a couple hundred kilometres an hour to lift up. So it's lifting the boat based on that. It's got its propeller down at the bottom of the foil, or probably two propellers at the back of the foil, mm. and it lifts up there. It's electric, got a range of about 100 kilometres. It can do about 40... So you 40 won't hear it coming? You won't hear it coming, no. About 40 kilometres an hour. And I actually read one review of, of one of the people that were probably using their advertising, but was out on it. And they did say that it was very quiet. You could hear a bit of wind noise because you're doing 40 kilometres an hour, but you're just out there in the ocean or in the water. Now, the other cool thing is I watched one video when it was going over, not big waves, but it was going over some swells. Right. But it just sat flat because all it needed was enough water, presumably below. Well, I would say that it's got inertia. So, so the foil sits at the, its level in the water, and waves can happen. So they're going to have rapid change, but they don't have enough inertia to to change enough the uh, the position of the boat in that water column compared to a normal boat sitting with its hull on That's top because right, it's sitting on it's top. hitting every one of those waves, yeah. and you can get a bit seasick because you're yeah, bouncing along those waves through the water. Yeah, but look, um, uh, racing yachts have had this technology for oh, a while. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and isn't it fascinating? And I love watching those. They're so going you've got along. the hull of these racing design hulls, but the hulls aren't even sitting in the water. That's right. But but I love it when they pop up. So you see them in the water and they're going along and not much activity happening. And then suddenly they just get enough speed and pop up and then holy yeah. truth, they yeah, absolutely they fly. fly. So yeah. yeah so I love those racing yachts, but applying that technology to other things. Now, how far can we go? And that's the, the big thing I want to know. They talk about the motorboats across the US, 11 million motorboats of this type of style, if you like. They use about 5.7 billion litres of fuel annually. So that can't be good for the environment no. either. Not as much as cars, obviously, but this seems like a good thing for the environment. But, but I really want to know... How far can it go? Because you've got a boat that's just used for a few people having a bit of fun. So then you go to a bit bigger boat and a bit bigger mm. boat. Can we get to a ship? Can we get to something that's a, a car carrier? Ship. A, Imagine that. Imagine foiling a container <laughs> ship. But think of the fuel that they're using. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're laughing at me, no, James. but <laughs> I'm thinking about how much weight you've got to lift up out of the water. And all that hull supporting it. So maybe yeah. you need three or four foils. Maybe you need a few more foils. But the, yeah. the big thing is that 
little bit that's actually cutting through the water. So maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe I'm being silly. Maybe you're justified well, in your laughter. What, no, no, but I wonder what speed those um, those tankers can get up to. And again, with 26 kilometres per hour, mm. some of those tankers, sure, that's 16 yeah, knots. Yeah, yeah. Surely they'd be doing that sort of speed at some period of time. But that's that foil. You could design foils that would that's pop right. up at different speeds, obviously. But it does sound like a lot of fun, doesn't it? I love those little ones that look like a surfboard that pop up out of the water. Have you yeah. seen those ones? Oh, the wakeboard. Yeah, yeah, and they've yeah, got yeah. a single rather than kind of two. It, sounds, yeah, it looks yeah. like it's very unstable. I haven't had a go at one of those. I do want to have a go. Yeah, and just by using the thrust of your legs, you can stay above the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and get a bit of propulsion there. All of this is just taking away that big surface area out of the water and just getting mm. that little tiny bit of surface area and using that little foil. The way of the future. Absolutely right. Is Amazon Prime's air program set to drone on or truly take flight? Matt is going to unpack the tech giant's ambitious plans to deliver half a billion, I'll say that one more time, half a billion parcels annually by air and get this folks, in less than an hour. Matt, how is this going to work? See, I was going to say 500 million, but for some reason half a billion Sounds oh. like a bigger number than five hundred million. Well, it is five hundred million, but still, five hundred million is a lot. But that's but that, do, you, do you agree? Does half a billion sound like a bigger number? When I hear billion, I go, "Wow, that's big." Yeah, yeah. But uh, but you when you what? said half a billion, I went, "Oh, that's more than <laughs> I thought it was." I thought it was only five hundred million. <laughs> well, it's thirty three percent bigger than a third. Uh, I don't know. You know, just uh, numbers, huh? But um, yeah, it's a lot of parcels. It's a lot of parcels, and it's way. quick. Well, and, and it's a lot of drones, surely. Surely, and, and it's I'd, a lot of fed income drones. Exactly right. Now, I do wonder whether we're creating stuff because we can. When I order stuff on Amazon, you know, I'm okay the next day, maybe the next couple of days. It's very rare for me to order something on Amazon and go, Yeah, but I you're need of the generation that isn't in instant gratification. Maybe you're right. Yeah. yeah so. so there are generations now that I saw it, I want it, I have it. Are you saying some 20-year-old saying, an hour? I've got to wait an hour. (laughs) Can I have it? (laughs) Can I have it now? (laughs) So you're right. They've got a a whole new bunch of drones that have been designed. The MK30 is their new design. 40% quieter. That's an important thing because people do complain about drone noise. So, ah, there's James getting another parcel delivered and that drone noise, I'm sick of it. Time to go into into (laughs) the shops and buy something. Living next to the Amazon factory. (laughs) Well, there, but also living next to maybe my wife who gets deliveries all the time. (laughs) Gets lots of parcels. (laughs) That's right. Now, there are some limitations. The package can't be more than 2.3 kilograms. It can't be bigger than a shoebox. So that new flat screen TV, yeah, Mm, not so much. But lots of parcels, batteries, healthcare products, medications, cosmetics. You can see lots of things being delivered. They've got these being used in two US cities at the moment, but they're starting to expand across the world. Italy, the UK, they're even looking at Australia, but not quite yet. So which two cities are the ones you, you know? College Station in Texas, and Lockford in California. Yeah, right. Well, you put me on the spot there. That's right. Well done. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just interesting that they're fairly obscure cities that I have never heard of before. Well, I think they're probably using cities like that rather than Los Angeles. A lot of our in those two cities, by <laughs> That's the way. Right. Uh, Los Angeles, New York, that probably starts to get a bit hard to throw that traffic up in the air. Maybe they don't want to test them in those really big cities. Yeah, okay. Obviously, that will be the plan at some stage. Maybe they're really friendly cities of people who don't like to destroy drones. Maybe they looked at he, what cities had good concentration of Amazon deliveries and said, we'll go yeah. and use that. So there's a few things about this. I do find the 60 minutes interesting, but I take your point that maybe that instant gratification, but that's fascinating. 60 minutes from dawn to dusk in, and they'll nominate which cities, 
mm. obviously places where they've got some sort of Amazon warehouse, you would assume, because it's probably not going to go a long distance in that 60 minutes. But that's fascinating for a start. What I do like about it, though, is that at the moment, you've got truck rolls, you've got vehicles out there delivering these, and presumably they're getting electric vehicles at some point, but they're still probably petrol vehicles at the moment. Yeah, these are obviously rumble on the road, they make lots of noise. So all of that. got a problem with noise. Yeah, these are obviously the electric drones, and it's a different noise, but surely that's going to be more efficient for the environment to deliver them in this way. It does seem inefficient, but obviously they've worked out the model because you take a truck, you load up a little truck with your deliveries around the city, around the suburb, yeah. and you put lots in there and you go to one place, the next place, the next place in a sequential process. Yeah. But a drone's going to go warehouse one. to your place. Yeah, that's right. Warehouse yeah. to my place. Warehouse to the next place. That seems inefficient, but again, you haven't got a driver. You're not burning fuel. There's not a lot of other extra weight, like a big trailer or a big chassis of a, no. a truck that you've got to load as well. And the MK30 is something that takes off like a helicopter or mm. a drone and lands like a drone but flies like an aeroplane. So it yeah. does actually have wings that they turn and they've got some lift there so it's not using just the propeller power to keep it above the ground. So I think it's interesting. I think it'll be something that people are demanding it, obviously, and Amazon mm. is saying we're going to deliver on it. I don't know how long before we'll see it in Australia or in regional arees, but in some of those capital cities, I think That'd you'll see be it before cool. too long. Pretty cool to see. Is it time for data centres to break a sweat? Well, today we're diving into the hot topic of how allowing servers to run at a higher temperature could slash cooling costs and energy usage. Now, there's an oxymoron for you, Matt. Engineers have been trying to find ways for decades to run these servers at cool attempts. How's this new idea going to work? Does it seem too simple? Does it seem like well, I mean, just you've got all this hotter. energy that's wasted as heat, right? Yep. And so we've got these hot boxes, which are our data servers. And um, so we've been trying to cool them down try, uh, and perhaps making them more efficient by cooling them down. Now we're saying, no, no, let them run hot and let's use that energy to cool us down. Well, we could do that, or we just let them run hot and stop wasting all that money oh, on cooling them down. Right, okay. And that's the, Is the, that what's happening? That's the concept here. They're saying that one-third of a data centre's total energy consumption is on keeping it cool. And right. I've walked into data centres, yeah, and they okay. do feel quite pleasant, typically around 20 degrees Celsius, yeah, so yeah. They're, they're quite pleasant, even maybe a, a touch chilly in there. People aren't in there typically, but the logic has always been we've got all these servers producing all this heat. We've got to keep them cool because you don't want your servers overheating. So the logic seems sound, but then if you're using all of that power to keep the whole data center cooler, well, these researchers have said, well, just let them run hot. It's okay. And so they're doing the research on that at the moment. They're saying that maybe you could just let everything run at, say, 40 degrees Celsius, which is a fair bit hotter than 20 degrees Celsius. And sure, the servers will run hotter, but the tests they've done so far show that the performance is basically the same. It might degrade slightly, but for all that money you're spending on energy to cool it, that little bit of performance degradation is probably okay-ish. If you could do that, if you could just say, let's keep it at 40 rather than 20 or maybe 25, then the amount of energy used for cooling will be reduced by 56%. So that one-third that you're using for that, reduce that one-third by half or over half, 56%. So then you just let your your data (laughs) centers run a bit hotter. Now again... And and you laugh. You're laughing lots today. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> I just, I'm just thinking about. I had friends, um, like 20 years ago, who were running, t- um, hoses through their computers, 
like uh, having silicon hoses uh, with running water from a tap into, into a sink to help cool down their, their computers that were running hot. And you can still get that now. You can still buy computers that are water-cooled, definitely. Yeah. But it, it, to me, it almost seems too simple. You mean no one thought of this before? No Just one let it run thought hot. to try it? And so normally servers in a data center are cooled by water. There's normally cold water running through, exactly the same as your friend with just one little computer. They'll run cold water through them. Obviously, the water's got to be cooled down to run it through a data center. But yeah, no one's actually thought to just let them run hot. So well, there's more Matt, research. I'm going to just, just relax for a moment because I'm laughing because it's just – it just seems so, you know, simple. Too simple. It, yeah. And so where's, there's got to be amazing. a flaw somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, but maybe it is something where suddenly all these data centres around the world go, we've been getting it wrong. We thought we had to keep them cold. <laughs> well, just keeping them at a reasonable temperature. So forget the room temperature. start off as an accident that someone forgot to turn the cooler on <laughs> and then realised, oh, no, I've wrecked the, wrecked the whole right. server. And they yeah. showed up and oh, everything's running all right. Yeah, that's okay. Why don't we just let it run? And the processes do get hot. I mean, there's a fan on a processor. Yeah. If you take that off and put your finger on it, it's pretty hot there. Yeah, yeah. Now, I suppose the big thing here is what's the long-term effects? If the speed seems okay – What's the long-term effects of running these temperatures, these servers at higher temperatures? Mm. We don't know that yet because we haven't had a long yeah. term to actually do it. But I think that'll be some of the research. But just keep an eye on this because, again, I'm just waiting for someone to come in. Oh, hold on. You didn't think of the, ah, oh, yes, yeah. we should have thought of that. But at this stage, everyone's going, oh, wow, we should have thought of that because that's a big difference in data servers. I wonder if people who are working in office blocks like next door to one of these servers or whatever, whether they'll notice a difference. But um yeah, maybe. Because yeah, 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 that heat is amazing. Anyway. G'day, listeners. Hold on to your Akubras because today we're diving into a story that's no tech doddle. Microsoft is injecting, injecting a whopping $5 billion into Australia's AI and cybersecurity. And Matt, it's set to reshape our digital landscape. Now, we used to ride on the sheep's back. Mm. Then we found stuff in the ground we could dig up. And now, hopefully, maybe we're looking at being a smart nation. We do, of course, export university students. So mm. we, we will not export the students, but, but we export university education. Lots of people come from overseas and are educated here. So that is a big export for us. But being a smart nation sounds pretty exciting. And this announcement, I am pretty excited about this whole range of things that Microsoft's going to do in Australia. Five billion investment is obviously significant for a start, but they're going to increase their data center presence. They've got 20 sites at the moment. They're going to increase it to 29. They might run them hotter. Who knows? It might make it cheaper <laughs> for them. Maybe it's a, not a $5 billion investment once they start running them hotter. But 29 data centers we'll see across Canberra, Melbourne and Sydney. They have also are doing a partnership with TAFE New South Wales. Now, I'm not sure if this is going to be expanded with equivalent TAFEs across different states or whether TAFE New South Wales is going to be the lead across all the areas, but they're going to establish the Microsoft Data Centre Academy. They want to educate 300,000 Aussies through skilled global programs around data centre and, most importantly, cybersecurity. So they're actually working on doing a collaboration with the Australian Signals Directorate and the Cyber Shield Initiative is what they're working on. And that's incredibly important. We talk mm. about it every week yeah. that there's some other scam, something that we're doing. And if we can be a smart nation, if we, in collaboration with Microsoft and clever Australians, can start to work out ways to combat that, gee, that's going to be something we can export across the world as Absolutely. well. So this really is just focused on our whole investment alignment with trying to get 1.2 million people in tech jobs by 2030. As we do start to reduce coal mining, what are those people going to do? As we start to reduce 
mining in general, we want something else for them to do. So the Australian government is obviously right behind this and trying to work out ways that we can use all of this technology, all of this experience that Microsoft's got, and we probably have a bit more faith and confidence in Microsoft than some other companies around the world, mm. particularly companies that might come from other countries, not America. Mm. Our relationship with America is very strong. But look, I, I think it's good. I can see lots of students coming out of school, maybe out of university, saying, well, Microsoft wouldn't be such a bad company to work for. I wonder if I can do some real good here. The Australian Signals Director are excited as well. They said they had 76 thousand cybercrime reports in the 21-22 financial year that was a 13 percent increase from the previous year that is going up we see it every time we talk about it it's it's getting up so let's see if we can attack it so um, i think it's good i think there's lots of good that will come out of this. a lot of promise there all right folks today we're putting the pedal to the metal but hold on to your jockey wheel it's not your granddad's mustang we're talking about Can this new electric stallion keep the Mustang legend alive and kicking in a marketplace that lives and breathes with a petrol-guzzling, throaty grumble of a V8? What do you reckon, Matt? Mustang's getting a facelift. I reckon that when you start to get to the point where Americans who love their muscle cars Mm. are happy to have a muscle car that's an EV, then we've cracked the code. Now, in the Mustangs, <laughs> the V8, the big snarling V8, was always the one that people wanted. Yeah. They did try some smaller engines in the Mustangs, some turbos, some of those things, but people kept going yeah. for the V8. They love no, the sound. Right. They love that raw power of it. And the same is being shown with the Mac-E, the Mustang Mac-E. So there's three different versions. They've got the Select, 198 kilowatts of power, the Premium, 216 kilowatts of power, but 600 kilometres of range. That's not too bad. And the Mac EGT, 350 kilowatts of power, 490 kilometer range, so a bit lower than the premium, but you've just got that power. That's the one that everyone's ordering. Yeah. These are going out the door. These are incredibly popular oh. already. And the surveys are showing they're being bought by traditional Mustang owners. Oh, right. So it's not a new EV owner that's coming along and saying, I like those EVs. I don't want a Tesla. I want to get something else that's powerful. Oh, I'll go the Mustang. Yeah. Traditional Mustang owners are saying, I love my V8, but gee, I'm going to get embarrassed when I'm at the lights in my big V8 making all this noise (laughs) and some little youngster in a Mac EGT blows me away at the lights. That's the thing. The thing is they're being bought for their power and that's not something that everyone would associate with EVs but listeners of ours would absolutely know that this is where we're headed. Now lots of technology in them as well. They've been made out of the interiors, been made out of recycled materials. They've got a pin pad for secure key-free access. So they've built lots of technology in them. They probably went and bought a Tesla and said to their engineers, just copy that. Who knows? <laughs> but it is exciting in terms of just getting some more performance, some more EVs out there to really show what these can do. So yeah, I think it's Fantastic. I think the next and can one... can get their horn to play um, the tune out of the uh, Dukes of Hazard. Have you watched Dukes of Hazard recently? It was Steve Austin a week ago, now it's Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> sorry, sorry, interrupted you there. You were going to say... No, no, that's fine. So I think they're cracking the performance cars. I think that's where people are getting excited. The next big nut for the EV realm to crack, I think, is the 
family vehicle, the Tarago. We used to have a Toyota Tarago because we had too many kids to fit in a normal car. So the Tarago, the people mover, those ones mm. I think will be the next one. You don't need to go from zero to 103 seconds in those, no. but you need to transport a bunch of people around at an affordable price. Yeah. So I think we'll see a bit of movement in that space, but they'll get people excited first. And the Mac EGT does get people excited. Okay, folks, it's time to park this podcast in the garage and plug in the charger until next week, at least when we'll return with another fully charged software-updated version of Tech Talk with Matthew Diggerson. Congratulations, Matt. You got us over the line once again. And I'll do that software update, I guarantee, in less than 18 hours, I promise. <laughs> that hydrofoil boat has caught my attention this week. Do yourself a favour, folks, and check out the videos online and get yourself into dreaming about your next fishing trip or holiday on the water. Boating in the next decade looks like awesome fun. The other thing is, um, just a matter of fact about um, the General Lee's horn, the tune was uh, from Dixie, I believe. But anyway, that's for another time. Thanks for tuning in once again, folks. It's always a pleasure to bring you Tech Talk, and I hope that you pack away your earbuds at the end of each episode with a sense of satisfaction, just a fraction more enlightened than when you hit the play icon before. I'm your host, James Eddy, and we'll catch you again in another week's time with a specially handcrafted edition of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. In the meantime, take care and we'll see you soon. Thank you.